It is just past seven o'clock and we are locked and loaded. Loaded for sure. Another huge show on tap for you tonight. Tyron Sports, True Oldies Channel. I'm Mike Balsamo and Ira. You know, we've been saying how we're inundated with sports. There's just so much going on. And for that reason, we've got, you know, guests that we've been trying to get on the air, but we just have too much to talk about amongst ourselves. Yeah, I mean, I think that's what's happening. And I'm finding, you know, a lot of people say they love this show because this is like in the summer, this is usually a time there's just baseball maybe a golf a little bit, not really much going on. And people are out enjoying themselves. They're, they're out of the quarantine. But now we got hockey playoffs and, and basketball playoffs. And the baseball is more intense now because every game is worth three games. So you have so much going on right now. Plus you have to keep updates on college football and pro football. So it's very exciting. I mean, I just, you know, was watching basketball all afternoon. Like when, when in August are you watching meaningful basketball games that are playoff, that are dominating games? And as someone who's beginning to say, and I am, we got the heat starting tomorrow. Like this, this is just great for sports, and uh, so, yeah, we're going to put a guest. Next week, we got Jim Herman, who won the golf tournament last week, the Wyndham, this, on this weekend. We're going to have him on the show, so I'm excited about that, and then we're going to bring uh, probably uh, a couple guests on, but it's just, it's just so much to talk about, and for an hour, we just too many sports to go over. There is, and one of the sports that you know, we keep having to talk about because it is so popular, but really nobody has any clue what's going to happen with it this year is college football. Yeah, I mean, we sort of hinted at the show last Monday what was going to happen with the Big Ten and the Pac-10 in terms of you know, those are the schools like UCLA, USC, and the Michigan and the Penn State and the Ohio State. And both conferences decided they are not playing football for the first time in hundreds of years that they're not going to play football this year. Even in the pandemic in 1919, teams were playing football, which just shows you that this, is, this was just unprecedented. But what's very interesting is the SEC, the Big 12, and the ACC decided to play, which in the scheme of things, They've decided to go forward, and you're looking at high school football across the country, and schools are playing high school football. States, I think there's like 30 states that are going to play high school football this year. This is really for the Big Ten. It's sort of like when you're going somewhere, like, okay, you're going to join us, SEC. You're going to join us, Big 12. So now if the SEC gets a full season in, and if the ACC gets a full season in, and the Big 12 gets a full season in, boy, it's going to look bad. I mean, Michigan and Ohio State, it's almost going to be like a death penalty year where they don't even play football so the players don't get better, people, recruits don't go to the schools. I mean, this could set the Big Ten back years uh, in terms of not deciding, making that decision and not to play. And I think people are saying, why did you make the decision now? Why can't you just begin late late uh, September? The the numbers are, are improving on COVID every day now, it seems like. It, was, it seemed like they jumped the gun a little bit from the, from the Big Ten and the Pac-10 to do this. Uh, and so I think that's the concern. The concern is that Michigan and Ohio State and Penn State might be now taking a huge step back as long as the SEC and ACC and Big 12 uh, play their season. And, you know, it's interesting you bring that up because I do think that there's going to be serious ramifications down the line for Big Ten and, and you know, Pac-10 schools that – why would you want to go play there? If you had a choice between a good ACC, SEC school or a choice between a, a team that's not playing this year, next year, those recruits are going to go to the schools that played. It's just natural. And I think it'll be a trickle down effect. Well, you know, we, I'm 50 years old. So I, when I think of teams like Notre Dame, whether they're playing the ACC, but I, I have a long history of watching sports. But when you're talking about recruits, we have to remember their history is so narrow. It's like the Miami Hurricanes 
to the recruits today are nothing. They're the yeah. school that plays in Miami. They don't remember the, the great years when they won four national titles in eight years and all those things. Like, that's nothing. Like, to them, Alabama and Clemson, like, those are the teams. The other, these other schools are there. And that's the question. We talk about the great history, the great tradition. These these kids today, they're, they're not watching football when they're three, four, five. There's a short period window. Now, one of these key windows is going to be the Big Ten not playing football at all. Because I honestly have been thinking about the spring, and I can't. I find it very hard to believe that you're going to be able to get players to play in the spring, started in January and February when it's freezing cold, then um, then play in the spring, and then turn around and play till like April or May, and then turn around and play another season in September. I just don't think it's going to work. And none of the star players are going to play. So you're going to be playing with not any of your top players. I think like 100 players that were drafted in the Pac-10 and the Big Ten were, would, of course, not play if you're a draftable player. So this is interesting. I mean, I think everyone assumed that it was all going to be all or one. And that doesn't mean that the COVID cases could come up and the SEC is not going to play and the ACC, but it looks like they're determined to play this and, and play this season. And, and they're doc- they have doctors. It's not like the SEC, you know, it's like a, when you go to a court case and you have uh, experts. One is an expert witness, another expert witness. The SEC doctors and the ACC doctors and the Big 12 doctors are saying, look, we figure we can play. We're going to have the protocols in place. We're going to do these things. Whereas the Big 10 and the uh, Pac-10 said, no, we can't play. So this is really going to be, this could really shape the land because you could looking at the Big 10 without playing football this year. And if these other teams' schools play, um, really set themselves back to becoming almost a second-tier conferences. No, you're yeah, you're absolutely right, it, it, and it, it might put them into a, a lower tier, especially just as far as like recruits go. As we were talking about, um, let's change gears. Go to the NBA. They kicked off their um, the actual playoff today, and we got a really good game to start this one off. I know you were watching it all afternoon. Yeah, I mean that uh, Denver Utah goes to the overtime. And uh, and Denver was able to win the game, and Donovan Mitchell scored uh, 57, 59 points in the game with a playoff game, which is absolutely uh, amazing. I mean, it's only I think it was just one point short, short of the all-time Utah high of Carl Malone at sixty. Uh, but uh, Jamal Murray for Denver played great. Jokic, Jokic played great. Uh, it was it was really one of those classic games to start this playoff. I mean, Murray had 36 points and Jokic had 29 points, and I, I like Denver a lot. I think there, there, some of their players are coming back. Michael Porter Jr. is going to be this superstar in two years. He's playing great right now. Um, they have Jokic and they have Murray. Uh, this is a team that that almost knocked down the door last year in terms of getting to the fi- getting to the finals. And I think they're I think they're prepared in this win. Look, Utah played great. People are saying with uh, when before the COVID started, the, the dispute between Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert because Rudy Gobert got Donovan Mitchell COVID and the big will there be disputes? But boy, they both played fantastic. It was an amazing game, and uh, you're starting to see. From the uh, from the Portland games, which we'll talk about, the NBA with the intensity and it's great. And as I said, I'm watching these games and I don't miss the fans really. I would like to say I do miss the fans. I go to these games, I don't see it. I mean, the way you're watching a game, I'm just I'm still enjoying watching the game on TV. Yeah, no, it hasn't bothered me. Uh, it hasn't bothered bothered me yet at all, except for like you said, the fact that we can't be there um, physically. Um, it, it was kind of a weird week, you know, the one that passed, because a lot of games were not really that competitive, as the seeding kind of had already figured itself out. Nobody wanted to risk any injuries, so we had a little bit of slower games. But there's also, you have a gripe with the in-game commercials. I don't, if I'm watching, if I'm not watching these basketball games, and I watched a lot last week, and I have to say, 
I heard commentators saying, boy, the bubble was great. These games were amazing. The greatest things we've ever seen. Most of these games, the teams were playing their, their, their reserves. I mean, because the seeding wasn't so important. Nobody cared about home court advantage. Home court advantage meant nothing. So really, the majority of these games were probably not that interesting to watch. And a lot of them were blowouts. So in general, and I don't think it was that great. I mean, the NBA is tying themselves on the back. Yeah, there's no COVID cases, whatever. But I wouldn't say this is what the problem with the NBA is at the end of the season anyway. The teams don't even care what they do, and they're, they're, they're not playing hard. And also the resting and the load management and those things. But um, what I don't like when I watch the games, I, this is a trend which I hope they don't continue, is that if I'm in the middle of the game, I don't want to see commercial. Like, don't show me action. And then you want to put something on the bottom of the screen, that's fine. But don't start doing a, 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 taking the sound off. It's so distracting and showing me a commercial for something while they're like shooting free throws or something. I, I, I mean, they have enough commercials in these games, enough breaks in action. You don't need to have to go and run a commercial while the action is going on. No, and I feel like most sports are going to this, and it's kind of annoying that that this is how they're going to you know squeeze in all their all their extra revenue. But uh, you know, I guess it's better than than not having it at all. I um, but let, let's go back and talk about some of the games from last week because we did have some some really good ones. Uh, and, and it was. I was kind of disappointed to see the Heat not able to make any move, and they kind of uh, went into this a little bit slower, I guess is the word for it, than I would have liked them to be. But uh, regardless, uh, we're getting a good series with them in Indiana. Well, yeah. I mean, I think what happened last week, the only things that we talked about last week on the show, was to look at the West because they were battling for that eight and nine, that eight position. That final position was the only one, and, and, and thankfully there was a there was, there was a great uh, competition for it. New Orleans was terrible in the bubble. They were eliminated. The whole Zion thing didn't work. Alvin Gentry, the coach of the Pelicans, was fired. Um, and New, New Orleans has a very talented team, has to get their act together for next year. Zion has got to get in shape. I mean, if he's going to be the superstar, I mean, every commercial, he's got to play more more than 15 games in a year. Um, San Antonio was eliminated, but it came down to that Thursday when Memphis played and then Phoenix played and then Portland played. And it was like what, in, the, in the top, the two teams, the eight and nine teams, they were going to get a play, a playoff, like a little play in game scenario. Memphis, which was, had the lead, they were in the, they were two and six in the bubble, but they ended up winning against the Buc- uh, the Milwaukee Bucks, 119-106. So they got the ninth seed. Phoenix uh, beat Dallas. Devin Booker, now Phoenix was 8-0 in the bubble. Devin Booker averaged 30 points, 50% shooting. He's a guard from Kentucky, and he has just emerged as a, as a superstar for Phoenix and playing great. And, and I think Phoenix, this is one team that has going to just say, wow, this bubble was great for us. We're going to be a playoff team next year. We're young. We're great. They have Aiton. They're going to be fantastic. But it came down to at the at last day, last game was Portland and Brooklyn. And Brooklyn, which of course has no players, there are no Durant, no Kyrie Irving, no anybody. And Portland had to win this game to get in this. And everyone's like, Portland's so good. And you're le- you're hoping that you know, Brooklyn's going to put up a little fight. They're going to try a little bit. They're going to play. They're going to never go away. Wow. Harris Levert for Brooklyn at 37 points, nine assists, and he missed, and, he just, and all he did was miss a last second shot. Uh, Damian Lillard ended up with uh, 42, 42 points, 12 assists, and eight, through, eight threes. Huge steal at the end of the game. Um, I mean, it was just, it was, it, it was just that back and forth, great game, screaming at the TV. Uh, at one point, I'm saying Portland's out of, out of the game. They come back. Uh, very exciting, and, and and Lillard just is just tremendous. And he had a, a sixty point. His last games were fifty one against Philly, sixty one against Dallas, and forty two against Brooklyn. Uh, they lost last Saturday against the Clippers, and since then they were like on a. They have to win every single game, and it's guy scoring. And you talk about the, the sixty point games. He there's only been three play. He has three sixty point uh, games. Uh, 
Michael Jordan only had four. Kobe had six. Larry Bird only had one. That's just how much Damian Lillard really plays, you know, fantastic. So we had that game where Portland beats Brooklyn to go into it. And then you get Saturday uh, in terms of the playing game. Now, Portland was the AC, Memphis denied. So Portland wins this game. Uh, they win. But if, they're, if they lost it, then they, have, they play another game. They only had to win one out of two games. That was uh, the, the rules. I mean, all these different little rules about this. And, uh, but Memphis... Again, everyone said Memphis has no shot. They're going to get blown out, whatever. John Morant, the rookie of the year, was just tremendous during the entire game. Just He was just doing everything. He ended up with 35 points, eight assists. And, at, you know, at one point in the game, you're like, Oh my gosh, Memphis is going to win. I mean, they were, they, they took this lead. They were, they were out, they outscored Portland 42 31 in the third quarter. John Morant's draining threes left and right. And, uh, but the key thing was that, uh, Nursic, for Portland, uh, made a great, he had a, a three point play. It was a three, he shoot a three pointer, but he made a three point play. And at the end of the game, uh, CJ McCollum from Lehigh uh, had a three pointer and a two pointer. And even Carmelo Anthony played great for Portland to, to hold it to, to seal the victory. But that was a great game. Another super ridiculously exciting game. So Portland is, is great and exciting. And why we mentioned Portland and why I keep talking about Portland is they are so designed to beat the Lakers. The only thing they're missing is someone to guard LeBron because the Lakers have no good guards and they get killed by the guards. And Portland is the two best guards in the league and C.J. McCallum and Damian Lillard. And the question is, can they, that's what's going to make this, uh, that series so intriguing. You're listening to Iron Sports. This is the True Oldies channel. I'm Mike Balsamo, along for the ride as well. Um, okay, let's talk about some of the uh, some of the series that we're going to see here. Uh, Milwaukee and Orlando out of the East, and this one, I would be absolutely shocked if Orlando even wins two games here. I again, this, Milwaukee was three and five in the bubble. People are like, they didn't look good. I, that's a team, but they were not really playing. I think of the eight games, only like two or three they even played most of their starters. Uh, their defense, which Milwaukee has been great at, is a mess. They are they are they are giving up more threes than anyone in in the NBA. Which was, they actually were very good on threes last year. Now they're terrible. But you don't expect Orlando to do anything. I mean, they 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 started out two and zero in the bubble, and then they lost all the rest of their games. Um, they don't have Jonathan Isaac. Um, they're a nice story, but I expect Milwaukee to sweep this in four games. I mean, we're going to talk about this in hockey a little bit. The one thing I supposed to say, well, it's a home court advantage, but also it's it's bad for the the team that's the underdog because a lot of times you you go back to your home and your fans are in and you try. That's where you sneak one of those games in. I just don't think it's hard now without that to if you're an inferior team like Orlando is to get motivated. There's no fans screaming for them. They're not going back to their home arena. So I, that's where I think you're going to see more sweeps. So I really think I, I'd be shocked if Milwaukee doesn't sweep that first year. So we talked about how Portland is probably the team that, you know, you don't want to see in the West. And in the East, it's one of the top seeds that you don't want to see. I think Toronto looked really good in this bubble, and I'd be really afraid to play them. They're going to line up against the Nets. Well, the Brooklyn Nets, and we said earlier, no Durant, no Kyrie Irving. Spencer did with their guard. DeAndre Jordan was isn't here. Tareen, Tareen Prince, Nick Claxton, uh, they, they, they should have no shot at all. And this is where I'm just bashing Kyrie Irving. Kyrie Irving said during the year, he played a few games, he goes, he goes, uh, this team's missing some stuff. We don't have enough players. And he got the coach fired, even though they were, they're now the seventh seed in the playoffs. And he got the coach fired, Kenny Atkinson. And I'm like, wait a second, Karis LeVert is, is like all-star potential. Like you're, you, he's a great third player. He's one of the best third best players and the team of anyone in the league. So if you and Durant are good enough and you have guys like Jared Allen, who's their center, who plays great. And they, Joe Harris, who drains threes. They play so hard, these nets. And that's what's dangerous now. The thing is, that I feel bad for the Nets 
because I think they went against the, they're going against the other team that plays super hard. The one team that plays great defense and everything, Toronto. That's why you saw them go to the NBA Finals last year. So the point is, is that I, I would like to say, boy, the way the Nets are playing, you think they're going to get a game, a couple games from somebody, but uh, Toronto is just, you're, you're totally right. Um, they were in the bubble seven and one. Uh, Mark Gasol came back in, as their center, came back looking fantastic. You have Kyle Lowry, usually in, during this year, is all beat up by the end of the season. He looks healthy playing well at point guard. Uh, Fred Van Fleet just makes big play after big play. And their superstar is Pascal Siakam, who is, again, the underrated superstar. So Toronto is definitely situated well. I, again, I think they probably might lose one of these games to Brooklyn, but I, I feel bad for Brooklyn because this is a team that I felt like, boy, they, they might be able to upset some of these other teams, but not, not Toronto. And it's funny that you said on this show over a year ago, Pascal Siakam's going to be a superstar, and we're seeing it right in front of our eyes. Um, yeah. Boston and Philly, and this is one, if this was a year ago, like I just said, I would think, man, this is going to be a great series, but I can't see the way Philly's playing being able to hang with, with the Celtics. Well, first of all, they lose their superstar, Ben Simmons. Actually, they played better in the bubble. They're 4-4 four and four in the bubble. They played better without Ben Simmons, but Simmons is out with a dislocated kneecap. And Look, it comes down to Joel Embiid. He has a matchup. Boston has one weakness. They don't have a center at all. And Philadelphia has Al Horford, who was the center at Boston last year. So now they have, they have, they have the, definitely the, side, the huge side advantage, side advantage with Embiid and Horford. Huge. But the fact is, is that I just don't see, like, again, Embiid, is, he's going to have to put, he's going to be like 40 points, 20 rebounds for the entire series. I don't see it. Maybe one game. No, look, he's going to have a superstar game. But Joel Embiid is someone who's going to have, like, he's going to have a 12-point game with seven rebounds. They're going to lose by 30. Uh, Boston, I, I think this is a Boston team. Look, Kyrie Irving, we're going to bring his name back in the picture again. This is a team that two years ago made it to the NBA Finals and barely, barely lost to the Cleveland Cavaliers uh, with LeBron James. Last year was a complete mess with Kyrie running the point guard, but the team is back. They have Tatum and Brown and they have Gordon Hayward. Uh, they're playing great. And now Kemba Walker, their point guard, he was hurt. Part of the year he came back and in the bubble was just playing partly in the bubble, but now he's back. He looks healthy. Look, I have four, I, that's why I think Boston is going to sweep Philly. I think he might, Philly might take one game, but I, I really like Boston in this series. And then uh, the final East series is going to be the four and the five. Our Miami Heat, a uh, team that I de facto root for since I'm a Knicks fan, so I haven't had anything exciting for them in 20 years. So I'm all aboard the Heat. I, I do think that Indiana is going to be a tough matchup for them, though, and the Heat weren't exactly playing their best basketball going in. No, I think the Heat, the Heat sort of took the load management <laughs> route also. I mean, they were three and five in the bubble. Indiana was six and two in the bubble. Out of nowhere, Indiana found out TJ Warren, who scored 53 points and 40 points in a game, and they got Oladipo, who's been out all year. Victor Oladipo, their star, is now back healthy. At first, he wasn't going to play. Now he's going to play in the bubble. So, Mark Brogdon's going to be there. This, this Indiana team is very dangerous. Uh, I, and it's hard to say with the Heat, and so young, so inexperienced, that they're the favorite, which they are the favorite. It's a 4-5 game, but it's, it's, a, it's one of those. This is, a, this is really, really, you know, they, 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 the, heat of, they, the Heat are, I think they really need to put Drogic. Goran Drogic has to play like Goran Drogic, the reason who got $25 million. Mm. I think he's got a started point. I think Kendrick Nunn, this is a little too much for him. I think he should come off the bench, and I think you're going to have to see Duncan Robinson and Tyler Hero shoot. And if Jimmy Butler can be that you know, max player, the dominant player, 
on his team. And, and, and I like Jimmy Butler because Jimmy Butler is not someone who says, oh, look, I need to score 30 a game, 40 a game. He doesn't have to be that type of player. And I don't think the Heat need him to be that player. But at the end of the game, when the pressure's done on there and they're getting to the end, it's back and forth, five, he's going to have to be that player. That's what they need. They need a closer. Jimmy Butler has got to be the closer. And Goran Dragic. They both have tremendous experience. This is the one thing that he'd have. Remember, Andre Iguodala is coming off the bench with all the finals experience that he had. This team, and they have a great coach in, in Spol- Spolstra who can work this through. This is this tournament. If they can then get through Indiana and beat Milwaukee and beat Toronto, the Heat have as good a chance as they've had since LeBron left to make it to the NBA Finals. This is not a pipe dream about this. They, if they, they, they are good enough to get this, but they really need to play well. They can't afford, you know, and they could easily lose to Indiana because Indiana is a good team, and, and nothing's going to come easy to them. But they, uh, and Dan, I can't say Sam Adebayo, I can't forget him. <laughs> He's going to have to dominate, too. I think everything has to be right for the Heat. But if everything is right, they're going to go to the NBA Finals. But that should be, that should be how it is. I mean, you shouldn't have to go to the NBA Finals if you're just, like, okay. Unless you have, like, LeBron and Wade and Bosh. Other than that, if you want to be good enough to go to the NBA Finals, this is a chance for the Heat. And this is a great opportunity for them and, uh, to, get, to get to the Finals. And I agree with you wholeheartedly on what you said about Nunn and Drogic. Kendrick Nunn is a great story. And I think he's going to be a good player. He's going to get Rookie of the Year votes. This is not his his scene here, Ira. This is the guy you're paying Drogic big money. He's got the experience. He needs to be in there, uh, you know, handling the ball at the beginning and at the end of the game. And I think that that's just how Spo has to go with it. Yeah, I think there's. I, I really thought. I think it was nice what they were doing. I remember they were trying to save Drogic this year, not wear him down. But this is the time where you need Drogic in the game. You need him to start. The Heat has got to start. And I think none limit his minutes, play Drogic more minutes, and uh, and get and definitely get Hero in the game, get Robinson in the game more. We're going to see what Derek Jones Jr.'s injury, how bad that is. But again, there's there's so many his so many players, the Crowders, the Kelly Olynyks. There's so many different things that Spolster. He and this is going to be pressure on Spolster. He has a lot of pieces that he has to put together to make this work. So. I, I'm glad we have an experienced coach. Like, if you have a coach like Spolster that knows how to do this, working with Pat Riley, figuring out game plans, I, I like this is perfect for the Heat because there's not a team that LeBron is not here anymore. There's no one, someone that you can say, wow, like, and Milwaukee has looked so uh, pedestrian, mortal, whatever, in the playoffs. Now, maybe Milwaukee get their act together, but, but look, Miami should be, if Miami plays great, they could beat Milwaukee. They'd actually match up with Adebayo and with the guard play. They could, you know, shut down Giannis and, and beat Milwaukee. So, Ira, the, let's go to the West, and the, the sexy thing to say for the past, you know, week or two has been, man, if the Portland lines up against the Lakers, they could beat them. When do you ever talk about an eight seed beating a one seed in basketball? You don't, but I don't know. Are you buying into this? I kind of am just a little bit. LeBron seems so empty-handed there. The Lakers rank second to last in the restart in points per game at 106. They're 19th in field goal percentage, and they're last in three-point shooting percentage. Rondo might come back at guard play, but since Avery Bradley opted out, they really have not had guards. They're putting all this pressure on LeBron and Anthony Davis to do this. Now, they have just, you know, they've been three and five in the bubble and didn't really play well, but didn't even play their players. Portland has been playing every game like it's, they had to win it because they really did have to win it, and Lillard and McCollum have to just play like these all superstar guards and be great, plus Gary Trent Jr., to be interesting to see Carmelo. This is Carmelo's. Now he has a chance in the playoffs. Let's see what Carmelo Anthony does. 
Um, the problem is that Trevor Ariza opted out. He didn't play in the playoffs for Portland. He would have been someone to guard LeBron. There's nobody on Portland's roster that can guard LeBron. Now, what does Portland have? Besides the sprint guard play, they have Nursik and Hassan Whiteside, so which they've been playing. These two seven-footers that both get rebounds. I mean, it just back and forth. I mean, Nursik against uh, Memphis had 22, 22 points and 20 rebounds. I mean, he's playing great. So you have a guy like Nursik, you have a guy like Whiteside. They can put them in, and really the, the, the Lakers don't have that that height. I mean, they have McGee and Dwight Howard really are not at the level, and, but they have Anthony Davis and LeBron. I mean, the, to think about the Lakers, these two guys with all this pressure, and maybe Kyle Kuzma can play, but uh, look, it'd be interesting to see if Portland, like, I, again, I think Portland's going to do it. I, I just think they might, but LeBron has that gear that nobody else has, and LeBron can just take this over, and nobody can guard him. And I could see a game where, like, LeBron scores 50. Like, this is a series type of series where LeBron, nobody can guard him, so he's just going to drive to the basket every single time and score like 20 buckets. Yeah, I agree. Le- LeBron's going to try to take the team on his back. There's definitely going to be like a, a, at least a 45 point, but probably a 50 point game or two in there as he just tries to do it all himself. And like you said, with the mismatch, it does seem like that's the most logical thing. So going to the Clippers and the Mavericks, I, I got to tell you, and we talk about him on this show, this Mavericks team is just fun to watch. And they're probably going to be someone to really be reckoned with in a year or three, but I can't see them getting past the Clippers. I can, and I just because I'm just not sold on the Clippers, and I've never been sold on the Clippers. The whole Paul George, quiet letter, they don't play together. They, the load management, the rest. I mean, I like to see the Mavericks win because I love Luka Don. You know, I love Luka Doncic. I just think it's just he's, he's 21 years old, and he was uh, 36, 14, a triple double. I think the last next last game at 36 points, 14 rebounds, 19 assists. Um, he, the Clippers, the Mavericks are averaging 125 points a game in the bubble. Uh, they're 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 the, one of the most in, most efficient offenses in the history of the NBA. And you watch Porzingis. This is the player that when the Knicks had him, that they called him the unicorn. Like you know, here's a guy who's seven foot two, draining threes all over the court, driving the ball, handling it. I mean, that's what makes the Mavericks so exciting. I, I wish they had that that third other player to see what could happen um, in terms of making it, but. Uh, uh, but so it's just look. I, I think I think one of the teams, Portland or Mavericks, is going to pull this upset. I don't know which one. I think Portland has a better shot than the Mavericks. But I wouldn't be surprised that that things like this. I just think the Clippers are just they coast, they coast, they coast, and they wait for Leonard and George to play well. They have Lewis, they're the players on the team that are great. But I don't know. I'm not totally sold that the Clippers. Everyone's like they're in the NBA Finals, they're in the Finals. You know, everyone's penciling Lakers, Clippers for the Western Conference Finals. Uh, but I'm intrigued by this series. It's not going to be a sweep. There's no way Luka Doncic and Persingas are going to let this be a sweep. I think they're going to have they're going to blow the, the Clippers out on at least one or two of these games. Uh, but I'm I'm pumped. Like to anybody who hasn't seen the Mavericks play all year, you got it. They spread the floor. Doncic has. I mean, he's just tremendous. Six seven, six eight, and he's strong. Shoots well. Drives smart. He's like Magic Johnson out there. And then you have Porzingis. It's just an exciting team to watch. No, absolutely they are. And yeah, no way they get swept. They're going to win a game or, or two in there at least. But yeah, I'd be rooting for the Mavs too. It's not going to bother me. Even being a Nick fan and losing Porzingad was his nickname while he was here in New York. Uh, but, you know, like, so I, I, I'm fine with them uh, seeing them look good. And it's not going to bother me if they beat the Clippers. Um, I think that's going to be one of the best series, Ira. And we, we got to see it um, earlier today. Went to overtime. Denver beat Utah 135 to 125. But I think this is going to be a great series. It's going to be a great series, and I was surprised that the Jazz, they didn't have Bojan Bojanovic, who was their, one of their best players who got hurt his, his wrist and uh, didn't, is not going to play the whole series, had, had surgery. And, and Mike Conley Jr., the point guard, 
who used to play in Memphis, he had the birth, he left the bubble to have to see the birth of his the first child. So he's not there, and I was expecting this first game Denver to really play well. But boy, uh, Donovan Mitchell with the with the fifty seven points, nine rebounds, seven assists, nineteen for thirty three shooting. They looked fantastic in going to overtime. But uh, I like Denver a lot. I think Denver definitely. You know, I'm like hoping that for some reason they're going to make it to the to the finals if they have a chance. I think, but. Uh, um, I, I think it's one of those type of games where Gobert uh, and is and and, and Jokic go against each other. Two big men, very classic. But to see Mitchell and Murray today, I think you're going to see I don't know six more games of that of each one of them. Two great point guards, uh, shooting, driving. What's neat about Jokic about Murray uh, for Denver and Mitchell for for the Jazz is that they besides shooting threes, shooting outside, and two point shots, they can drive. They have all the moves. It's like fun to watch those when guards are going like that. And plus the pick and rolls, very old school type basketball for both these teams. Uh, Utah is coached by Quinn Snyder. Uh, one of the guys that I think if Coach K uh, uh, leaves, I think Quinn Snyder could be a chance to, to come back to Duke and coach at Duke. Um, he's one of the most successful Duke uh, coaches, uh, and you can see what he's doing with Utah, the great, the great job he's doing there. So anyway, great series, totally excited about this. And then finally in the West, you know, it's funny, was Houston's been in the, in the uh, Western Conference Finals the past three years, I think nobody's given them a shot this year. And the team's kind of the same. I mean, they, they may have they swapped some guys, lost some guys, but it's still James Harden, and they're going to be playing Oklahoma City. And I, I, I don't want to say that Houston's a lock to win this one, but I can't see Oklahoma City beating them. Well, the question is if Westbrook's healthy or not. There's an issue of Westbrook. I, I, knowing Russell Westbrook, he's playing. Like, I, I think there's this rumor, is Westbrook going to sit out? I mean, this guy plays through everything. So I think there's a lot of smoke that he's not going to play. But I would not be surprised if Westbrook plays uh, plays through this. I mean, as they said, it was a hamstring or a lower leg injury that he'll play. Um, I think the fact that Harden's been rested, uh, we'll have, he's going to play great. And it'll be interesting to see because that's where uh, Chris Paul played on Houston last year and seemed to have some problems with Harden. Now he's back at Oklahoma City. I think Oklahoma City, this is uh, just amazing. I can't believe Oklahoma City is in this, you know, it's a five seed. It's just tremendous. And uh, they were 4-4 in the bubble. Houston was 4-4 in the bubble. Um, Houston's going to play small ball. Probably not the type of basketball I like to watch. There's no one on there just going to shoot threes the entire game. But they're getting Eric Gordon back who's going to drain threes. They added Robert Covington who's a great defender. So, uh, and you're going to, if you watch the series, you see Shea Gilders Alexander for Oklahoma City, who's going to be a future star in the league. Uh, Steven Adams is Oklahoma City center. You might remember when Steven Adams from when Oklahoma City was really, really good. He is really good. He's strong and everything. He, if he can take advantage of the fact that nobody can guard him from uh, Houston's perspective, maybe that's something that Oklahoma City can give Houston trouble. But look, I think if Houston's making their threes, playing like they do, they're going to win. I think they'll win the series. And I think, well, because I really think that Westbrook's going to be back. When Westbrook was there, I think he played perfectly with Harden. And uh, if he was healthy, I would think this would be a no-brainer uh, sweep. Uh, without Westbrook, I'm a little nervous about it, but I do think Westbrook will be back. All right, Ira. Well, by the way, this is Ira on Sports True Oldies channel. I'm Mike Balsamo. So, Ira, let's go to the NFL real quick. And I, I, I think this is there's beginning to be sentiment around the NFL that good tight ends are more valuable than a receiver. And it's a passing league. Receivers are the sexy player now, not running backs. But the tight end does so much more on the field for you. We saw last year two tight ends from the same college drafted in the, in the first round with uh, TJ Hawkinson and Noah Fant. Tight ends are really important, and there's not that many of them. And the two best in the league got locked up. So obviously their franchises know that. Yeah, Travis Kelsey with Kansas City and Kittles. 
Greg Kittles for San Francisco. I thought it was so funny when they signed the Hones contract. They said, well, they're not going to have money for Kelsey. Well, that was ridiculous. I mean, first of all, these teams find money for their superstar players. So don't think that they're going to let it. If you see a team let a player go, it's really because they decided they really wanted to let the player go, not because they can't find money for him. And they weren't going to let Kelsey go. And Kelsey wasn't going to leave Kansas City anyway. You know, Patrick Mahomes throwing the ball to you. You're going to be a Hall of Famer if you just stay on this team. Why in the world would you ever leave Kansas City? So it made no sense for him to leave. And and Kittles is, is happy with Jimmy G up in San Francisco. He was the one who perhaps might have left. But, no, that was a good signing. I saw where today uh, Bruce Arians for Tampa Bay said with Gronkowski and O.J. Howard, uh, they were like, we're going to keep two tight ends on the field. Like, our lineup is going to be a two tight end lineup because we have two tight ends that both catch the ball um, with Tom Brady. So that was really interesting to see what they were, some of these teams are going to do. And you see those two tight end sets for a lot of these teams. So you're right. The tight end position is between the blocking and the catching and, and, and those things. I mean, Kelsey is more a wide receiver type, uh, but Kittles is is someone who is the best blocker in the league and also can catch every ball. So, look, you're totally right. The tight end position is great. It's going to be interesting what happens in Tampa Bay. Let's uh, switch gears to baseball here, Ira. And I, I don't know, been loving it and <laughs> loving every second of it. And it seems like I think we're finally getting everyone healthy again as uh, some of the last teams have been cleared, like the Reds. Yeah, I mean, it's... It's it's one of those uh, seasons where you're going to see. Look, I was nervous. We're going to talk about today the Dodgers and the Yankees. I mean, I was like, I had told everyone how great these teams were, and they weren't playing that well. But now the Dodgers and the Yankees that seem to be winning every game, uh, they're back playing great. But you're seeing in the bubble, in the what, not the bubble, but in the in the comeback from this, is that boy, there's there is a lot of parity in the league, and there's a lot of teams that you didn't expect uh, that would play so well, including the Miami Marlins uh, that are that are playing, you know, that that are that are doing well. And I think it's fun to watch these. Games games and I think it's fun you know and they're saying well, I'm talking we're talking baseball in this show more than we would normally do in the summer and the reason is is because boy you know there is this sprint there is that 60 game sprint it's not 162 games and it's like one game whatever it is exciting that to think that these games do matter more and it really I think would give impetus to baseball to think well maybe they would shorten the season a little bit to, to add this more those say those games in terms of the, the pressure on each one of these games because I, I think it is interesting and you see how the teams Teams are playing to win. Like, this isn't like, oh, we're down. Like, I, I see a lot of – I just like this fact that each game matters so much more. No, absolutely it does. And, and it, it's just been a bizarre year. But I still think we're seeing really good baseball uh, across most of it. Um, you want to start here in the National League? Um, Marlins have been playing surprisingly good. I don't think anyone down here was ready for that. <laughs> the Marlins are 9-6. and six. Now, remember, they've only played 15 games. Everybody else has played more. But they're tied for the Braves for first place. Phil's two back. The Nationals are three back, and the Mets are pathetically four back. Uh, but look, you're getting pitching. Like it's the one thing about the Marlins is they beat the Braves eight two, but then lost two one and four zero uh, to the Braves. I mean, they weren't really getting getting those runs the last couple games. Uh, but Pablo uh, uh, Lopez. Uh, has pitched well. Daniel Castano has pitched well. Eliezer Hernandez has pitched well. They're really getting those pitchers. And I think when you look at great teams in terms of, like, when you look at those, you just point back to the Braves years and years and years ago uh, when they got Smoltz and Glavin, and, and, you, and you're like, wow, these pitchers are great. They, they, they have the, you get the pitching first, the hitters will come later. And that's what the Mets have been trying to do, and the pitchers keep getting hurt. But you like the fact that the, the Marlins, these pitchers that they have, they seem to be pitching well, especially in this, in this environment. And, uh, you, you know, the bats are really cool for the Marlins. And as you said, they only scored one run in two games, the last couple games. But I do like the fact that, look, they're 9-6, and six, they're competing, and they're getting good pitching. So that's great. 
Yeah, no, the, the future is uh, looking pretty good for them. And yeah, I mean, last night, I think they had two hits last night. So not good and lost to only allowed three hits. So it's funny how that works out. Still lost that one. You you brought up the Mets, Ira. And this, I mean, it, being a Mets fan is almost as bad as being a Knicks fan. I feel like every year, well, it might even be worse because every year they these fans come in like, oh, we're, we're going to challenge for the World Series. And then it just never comes together. Well, I, I think you saw this series when they, they lose to the Nationals and the Phillies. So they're they're lose two. I mean, they got they won. They played what, six games and lost and won one out of one out of five. I mean, they, uh, they unfortunately Degrom was scratched on Friday night to lose the Phillies six five. Saturday, uh, uh, Matz loses the Phillies five two. Steve Matz, who they chose over sort of Zach Wheeler, they they let Wheeler go and then Wheeler beats them. Yeah. And then they lose Sunday six two. The Phillies, they're just they're they're just struggling all over. And it's again, I was excited about the Mets. I thought this was going to be a chance, and and they just keep finding ways to lose. They're not good and uh, just a mess, uh, just a just a complete mess and, uh, for this team, and uh, the, just another bad week. Now and again, it's going to be hard for them to come back from it. But Degrom uh, is he going to win his third Cy Young? He's going to keep winning Cy Youngs on a terrible team. Eventually, he's going to have to win games. I mean, there's one thing about Degrom is that you can't just keep winning a ten or eleven. Well, this year will be much less than that uh, in terms of now the number of games and still be the quote the best pitcher in the league, which everyone. All my Mets fans, DeGrom, is he the best pitcher in the league? I go, yes, he's the best pitcher in the league, best pitcher in the league. But the Mets have got to do something. And, and this is, again, very – of all the teams, I think the Mets are really disappointing uh, in terms of what's going on so far. You think A-Rod and Jennifer Lopez uh, put this together to buy that team? <laughs> well, there's three big bids for the Mets. I mean, that's the one team, and everybody, I guess, the, the number is $2 billion. Uh, and uh, and it'd be, it's interesting to see A-Rod commentating on the Mets. Like he's broadcasting. I guess they took him off. They're not allowed to. But he's, he's talking about the Mets all the time, and he's going to be a potential owner of the team. I think it's a little weird. A guy's buying a team, and he's commenting on TV about the team. Plus, you know, he's a player who's been banned from baseball twice and everything. I mean, A-Rod is definitely the redemptive story of all time. I mean, the fact that he's banned from baseball, and now he's like the number one commentator on baseball. And he's going to buy one of the teams. It's just crazy. No, it absolutely is. Yeah, he, I mean, some of these guys have been pushed off into obscurity, and yeah, he's the face of of TV, uh, baseball on TV, basically. When was the last time you heard Barry Bonds do an interview? Really? Never. When Barry Bonds? What was the last? I mean, Barry Bonds, Pete Rose, like these guys are in like in a world that no one's ever seen, and they were on TV like seven <laughs> days a week. Crazy how that worked out, and I, I don't know if it's his. Uh, you know, his charismatic way about him or what, but people still love A-Rod. Um, talk about the Dodgers. Everyone had them as their preseason, uh, you know, going to the World Series, and they've had some ups and downs this year, but I would still be pretty confident in that. Well, Mookie Betts has turned in, remember, he signed a 12-year, $356 million contract, but on Thursday night, he had a three-homer game. He's just... He's just doing. I mean, he is so hot right now, and and playing great. And it's like even on Sunday when they beat the Angels. I mean, they swept. I mean, the Angel fans are, are the team is just falling totally apart. This one, this week's interesting is you have those cross town games. The Yankees didn't play the Mets, but the Angels, uh, San Francisco played Oakland. The Angels played the Dodgers. Uh, but uh, it was like again they're. They got uh, Dustin May pitching well on Sunday. Uh, Bueller pitched well Saturday. Kershaw pitched Friday night well. I mean, they're getting everything on him. You know, you know that uh, Batch has six three home run games, and it's the all-time NFL and uh, the Major League Baseball record. Like I thought that. Can you imagine that uh, Babe Ruth did not have six three home run games? I just it's like you thought that Babe Ruth always had all these home runs. It's, it's crazy to think Batch has that record with Johnny Mize and Sammy Sosa. Crazy, but uh, just. 
you know, it's like one of those things where they, they beat the Padres who are coming up and they beat the, the uh, uh, Angels and the Dodgers are, are rolling along and they're getting that pitching from that May, the Dustin May who we saw last year, the guy with the big red hair and everything on that. So he's pitching well. Um, but no, I think all is well in Dodger land in terms of uh, making it to the World Series. So Ira, you want to hear, you thought that bet stat was good. Listen to this bet stat. He has swung and missed one time this year on a, on a ball in the zone. One swing and a miss. That is insane. The guy knows how to put the, the bat on the ball. Uh, we got about 20 minutes left here on Iron Sports. We are always flying. Colorado is always flying, too. And I mean, Tampa Bay gets the most out of their players in the AL, but Colorado always seems to get the most out of the least in the in the NL. Well, I think, I, yeah, I wanted to mention Colorado because Charlie Blackman's hitting 446, and we've always talked about this. You know, no one's hit 400 since Ted Williams in 40, 41, but the point is, can – uh, is someone going to hit uh, hit 400 and uh, and would it count? Well, of course it wouldn't because they're only playing 60 games. But he's at a 446 level, so he's is someone who is like leading the league in hitting and playing in Colorado. People are thinking, wow, this Charlie Blackman guy might be able to guy the ones that hit 400. And just to, just to finish the National League really fast, the Cubs playing great. I mean, they uh, they're 13 and six again. They're just separating themselves. But they lost three or four to Milwaukee. I mean, they were rolling, rolling along until I said I wrote these notes, and then they lose three out of four to Milwaukee. Uh, but I, I still like how the Cubs are playing, and uh, the Cardinals. Unfortunately, they're going to try. They they're going to have to. Uh, they have like play five games when other teams have played twenty. They're going to be playing like three double headers a week to try to catch up, and it's going to be really hard. I mean, to think that the the Cardinals can actually make the playoffs would be a shock. Playing all these games, they're going to destroy their bullpen to try to catch up to. But they're they're back playing. Everybody's playing right now. So. Let's uh, let's go to the American League. My New York Yankees. They've been flying, coasting, soaring. Pitching hasn't been great, but they hit the uh, they hit the cover off the ball. Might get a little tougher now though. As Giancarlo Stanton finds himself up on the DL. Aaron Judge is battling some injuries and their best hitter, hands down, DJ LeMahieu, going to the DL as well. Well, we talked last week how Gary Sanchez catcher was just hitting uh, like nothing. He had nothing. <laughs> it was over 100, it seemed like. Then Gleyber Torres, their MVP candidate, was playing. Now they're hitting well. That's what's so great. They bring up Clint Frazier from the Purgatory. He comes to the first game back. He hits a home run, and then he has a double, and he plays great. So it's just the Yankees have so many players, and, and, and their, their run against the Red Sox they're now, they've improved to 9-0 at home for the fourth time since 1987. Uh, they also beat Boston for their eighth straight time, and they're 13-1 against the Red Sox at the start of last season. and won 20 out of 24 against the Red Sox. I mean, the Red, this is not a rivalry. The Red Sox are terrible. Like, this is, they're getting destroyed, and the Red, it's like they keep playing them on Sunday night because it's such a great rating for TV, but the Red Sox are putting up, they have no players. They're, they're horrendous. They're getting destroyed, and uh, the Yankees just totally pummeled them uh, those times. But look, they, and the key is, I know that pitching a little weak, but at least they're getting pitching from Montgomery and from Tanaka and uh, and Paxton even had an okay start. They're getting Chapman back. Britain's been great as a closer. Um, I think the Yankees, again, the other teams just rolling along. Uh, Garrett Cole has now won. Uh, I mean, his stats are amazing. He's won 20 consecutive regular season games. Uh, 24 is Carl Hubbard's the record. He's like now third of all time. His only defeat since May 2019 was in the World Series opener last year when they lost to Washington. And the last time he lost the regular season was, uh, you know, he's 20-0 and with its 194 year and 27 starts. And uh, just tremendous. I mean, Garrett Cole has been everything he's advertised. And it's, it's amazing. It's, you know, he signs that huge contract and he's totally delivered. Yeah, no, he has, and you always get a little bit worried. Anytime someone signs a big contract, goes to a big market, it's like, oh, no, but he's he's lived up to it. Um, going to the Central here, so 
the Twins were the favorite probably to, to do this. Cleveland's been playing surprisingly well, though. They're in second place. But the big, you know, gossip this week is, oh, Zach Plesak and Mike Clevenger violating quarantine, lying about it, and now getting sent to the minors as a punishment. Right. I mean, I think the players, I mean, the, the, the Plesak and Clevenger were pitching great for them. Uh, they went out on, on quarantine. They were caught coming back to the hotel. I mean, they're like a bunch of whatever high school kids running out for to go to McDonald's or something. I mean, they, one of them went out and got caught coming back, sneaking back. Like, you're thinking, wait, guys, this is the Major League Baseball. They have security. Like, you're not going to sneak out of a hotel or sneak back in a hotel. And then what's interesting about it is the teammates were mad. Like, the teammates were the ones who didn't defend them. Yeah. But, like, you know what, guys, you're crazy. We're, we're quarantined in our room. What are you doing running around town? This is what the problems happens. We were having a great year. And I think the players, I mean, the players said, from the, the Indians said, uh, you know, you got to go. We want you're on the restrictive list. We don't want to see you back until I thought that was really interesting. Uh, what happened in Cleveland, but I think it hurts their run. And, and, and Minnesota's just flying at 14 and eight. You're starting to see you know them getting that separate three games over Indians and, and some separation. Uh, a buddy of mine is the uh, traveling secretary for the Indians, and he told me about this about a week ago. Like, wait till you see what happens. Like, this team they hate Clevenger right now, and they don't like Plesac either. And I'm hearing rumors now that they're trying to move him maybe to Atlanta. Atlanta could definitely use another star. They've got Christian Pache, who's uh, going to be a stud, and that's what um, that's what the Indians want in the deal. So might see Clevenger dealt here sooner rather than later. Um, let's go out to the West. <laughs> we talk about Tampa, we talk about Colorado, but Oakland is always at the top of that board. I mean, they don't always hold on for the entire season, but they get more with less than pretty much anybody. Well, they're all, they're five games uh, up over Houston, the Rangers, and everything. They're 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 rolling. I mean, Oakland is set now. I mean, this is the whole Billy Beam and Moneyball and everything like that. They're like, oh, they never make the World Series. Um, you know, can you see Oakland beating the Yankees in the playoffs? Not at all. Uh, and it is a fortune considering that the payroll is difference between like two hundred and twenty million and like <laughs> fifty million. It's just not even. It's, it's insane the fact that Oakland can even compete with them. But no, it's nice. It just it's when, when this is looking at it, like Oakland might be in the, the uh, championship series in the American League. Uh, but really surprising that they're at the, you know so far ahead of Houston and the Angels are horrendous this year. And, and so I mean, if you expected the Rangers have trouble, Seattle have trouble, but sort of the Angels at nine back, another terrible year, and they got just swept by. And they're having a great year by Trout. Trout had nine, has nine home runs, even missing the games for the maternity leave. He's having another MVP year, and they still just, the Angels cannot, with Rendon, they bring all these free agents. It still never works. I mean, you're wondering what the Angels have to do to become a competitive team. Got about 15 minutes left here on Ira on Sports. Let's talk some golf, Ira. Um, So, I I know a lot of people that are actually thrilled that Augusta is not going to have uh, fans at it this year because we never get to see the course that in depth. So without the fans, we're going to get to see the beauty that is Augusta National. And a lot of my friends and, and fellow golf fans are really uh, excited about that. I think, look, I got to give Augusta credit on a lot of things they do. And I think they did well. I mean, they they clearly were comfortable having fans there. And so instead of having everybody buy stuff, go on secondary market, let scalpers make money. They just said, look, we're not going to have fans now. I, as much as I wish, hope they, I do think that they gave a benefit to the fans by not allowing the sole secondary market to go around by saying how many fans we're going to have. Um, so they just made that announcement now, which I think is fair to people. Like I think it, there's just the one event that if you're not going to have fans, because the cost of everything from hotel rooms is through the roof. 
And it's not fair to have people spend a fortune and then not maybe not get their money back or get their money back and those things. Now, the U.S. Open is December. They're not going to have fans either. Uh, but, uh, but, no, I think it's a huge announcement that Augusta decided not to have fans. But they're still going to, of course, look, golf of any sport has done this the best. I mean, they, they, are, they are having people play. The ratings are through the roof. Golf has dominated. And look, it's great when you see ratings. West Palm Beach is the number one uh, viewer market in the country for golf this entire period of the comeback. They're, they, they're by far. So you can see what, what passion the people in West Palm Beach have for, for the PGA Golf. Ira, do you enter into the um, sweepstakes every year to, to win uh, the, the right to buy Masters tickets? I, I was going to go this year. I, mean, I was, I was going to enter, but I was going to actually scout to, to go. But it, it's just like, yeah, one of those things that uh, that I, I think, look, the Masters is definitely one of his bucket lists. And it'll be interesting to see play in November, what the course looks like, how it's going to play, and those things. So, uh, But it's, it's, it's a way for golf to be relevant throughout the year. And certainly having your number one tournament in November, when it was supposed to play in April, it's uh, completely different. Yeah, I, I would feel so bad if I won the right to buy tickets and they canceled. Hopefully they rolled that over to oh, next year. I hopefully they'll let them use it the next year. Yeah, I, I would I would think so, but who knows? I mean, that would be stressful. Um, so let's talk about it. Uh, next week, we're going to have on uh, Jim Herman. Um, he's a friend of this show, and he's a winner last week. <laughs> so the Wyndham is sort of caught in between, because you had last week with the PGA Championship, and now you had the FedEx playoffs. So the playoffs are where they take the top 125 players, and then they go in the first is the Northern Trust. The next week is the BMW, where they go down to 60 or 70, 125, 70, and the Tour Champions are 30. So if you think you're going to be in that list, you're going to be playing three weeks in a row. So you would not play the PJ Championships, the Wyndham, and then three more. That's five weeks of golf. So that's why you didn't really see this field. But look, Jordan Spieth was in this, Sergio Garcia was playing, Tommy Fleetwood played, Brooks Kepka played. And none of them played very well at all. And Brooks missed the cut. Spieth finished 72nd. Sergio 66th. Fleetwood finished 59th. Uh, Webb Simpson finished 4th. Uh, but it was it came down on Sunday. And I, it was like one of those tournaments I wasn't really watching, paying that much attention to it. But I saw where Jim Herman, he's been on our show. He's a great guy to have on our show. He's To know about Jim Herman, he's the one who was the, the, the great amateur golfer, really didn't catch on as a pro, didn't play well, ended up being a teaching pro for a number of years, was teaching in uh, a golf course owned by Donald Trump, actually, and Trump said in, in New Jersey, and was a teaching pro there, and Trump said, look, I play with Tiger, I play with uh, uh, Phil, I play with Rory, uh, you're as good as these guys, go back on the tour, I'm going to you know, fund you, I'll pay your salary year, just go back and, and, and go play on the tour. He goes back and, and he has this like second life of playing golf, and he's now won two tournaments, and going this tournament that he actually won. A great guy, great interview, and I can't wait to have him on next week again uh, for winning his third tournament. But what's so amazing about it was he finished. How about this? Uh, he barely made the cut. He had three birdies in his last holes to make the cut, and he made the cut by a shot. And then he goes, and for Saturday and Sunday, he shot a 61 and a 63. How many of you end tournaments? Like, shooting 63s and 61s. And even on Sunday, Billy Herschel had this tournament. He was up, he was up to 21 under par. Uh, Herman, Herman was back at 20. And then there was a point where Her- Herschel bogeyed 16, but at the same time, Herman birdied, Herman birdied, Herman birdied 16. And it was like a two-shot swing going to 21. And then on 18, he was able to, 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 uh, to par out uh, with two good shots on 18. 
And uh, but then Herschel had a chance on 18 to, to tie and just missed that 30 putt, and Herman ends up winning this tournament. And it was it, you know he's been as someone who uh, I mean the, the thing about Herman he's missed seven out of 18. He's only made seven of 18 cuts this year. He was 200th in the world in the 200th in the in the FedEx points, 300th in the world. He jumped up to 52 in FedEx uh, points. Uh, just an amazing win for him. And like Zach Johnson now made the tournament at uh, the FedEx Championship, Shane Lowry, and also and Herman, but what a win in, in terms of, like, he was in the clubhouse and when Herschel had that chance on 18 and you're, like, and Herschel had that putt it was about an 8-9 plus putt, I'm thinking he's going to make it he's going to tie, they're going to go to the sudden death playoff holes, and uh, he missed it and Herman ends up winning his third tournament so let's uh, change gears, go over to UFC. And this was one of the weekends, probably one of the most hyped weekends of the year, Ira, as we're going to see uh, Cormier take on Majasek. Cormier Majasek, I couldn't wait. I was at a house and with some friends, and, 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 and by the time that fight got on, I had like 10 people around the computer watching. I wish they could put it on TV. I can't figure out how to still put it on TVs, but, but what a – it was just – I mean, it's, it was just a great – great, one of those great UFC fights. Uh, it started out, Junior DeSantis and, and Jeremy Rosenstruck, they were both 6th uh, and 7th ranked heavyweights, and Rosenstruck from Suriname, uh, uh, it was like one of those first rounds of these heavyweights, it's like they're just waiting for that one punch, so it was a little boring that first round, but uh, DeSantis faked a punch, and then Rosenstruck in the second round hit him, and fight was over, a big win for Rosenstruck, someone who's going to be fighting for a championship soon. The second fight was really interesting, the second main fight, the co-main event, Sean O'Malley is like the next Conor McGregor uh, bantamweight. He was a favorite against uh, Marlon Vera, and a lot of people said this is a bet. I, I actually got a small bet in on this. I said Vera could win. Vera could win on this fight. And O'Malley in the first round like hurt his knee just bouncing around. Like it's weird that you're getting hurt by just moving around in the ring. And uh, Vera sensed it and then was able to, to dominate and, and, and put uh, O'Malley on the ground and knocked him out in the first round. So huge upset because Sean O'Malley was 12 and 0 undefeated. Was going to be this next star. But you know it's one thing I like about UFC. They don't just baby these players, these fighters. They they, they he put them in against a good fighter who, if you're not going to fight well, you're going to lose. So that was it. But then the Cormier Mirosic match, I mean, this is really for legend status. This is like when the doll goes against Federer or Djokovic. I mean, that was at that level. Cormier is 41 years old. Mirosic was 37. Uh, Mirosic is a, is, a, is a puncher. Cormier is a wrestler. Uh, Cormier, uh, he held the light heavyweight championship from 2015 to 18, and then he moved up to heavyweight championship. And before MMA, he was a, an amateur wrestler at, at Oklahoma City. He was the Hall of Fame for, for college wrestling and won titles there. And, and Cormier ended up losing this. He's only lost to John Jones, is considered maybe the greatest UFC fighter of all time, and Miasic, who is up twice, who is also considered one of the greatest fighters of all time. So it's like Cormier, you know, and, and, and what was exciting about this was we're just waiting. The first round, Cormier tries to take Miasic down, doesn't get him down, and then, and that's the only time. The rest of it was like this boxing match. And the third round, Miasic uh, put, uh, you know, his eyes, you know, there was an eye gouged by, by accident and a punch. Uh, Cormier, ref didn't see it, but Cormier then could see it out of his eye the rest of the fight, which is a problem. But Cormier had done that to Miasic before in the fight. But it was one of those things where Cormier clearly won the fourth round. In the fifth round, I thought Cormier won going into it, and I thought Cormier was going to win by three rounds to two, and the judges had him four to one for Miasic. So as much as I, it was a close fight, I was surprised by the outcome of it. Uh, but just a, just a great, great fight in terms of excitement and the fact that two legends, two people that were going for who's going to be the greatest player, uh, fighters, heavyweights of all time. And uh, just a, it was great, great fight. We got about just about five minutes left here on Iron Sports on the True Oldies channel. So we talked about it last week, and, and 
absolutely bizarre what the NHL decided to do with their first uh, with the first overall pick. It happens to be a generational talent named Alexis Lafreniere, and this guy he comes with all the accolades that we've seen of like a Sidney Crosby. Like they they're really confident in this guy. They decided to let the seven teams that didn't make the playoffs not eligible for the top pick. Every uh, The eight teams that did make it and got bounced had a 12.5% chance, and my New York Rangers are taking home the right to draft uh, Alexis Lafreniere, and uh, I could not be happier. It's crazy how it worked out, Ira, but I'll take it. I think it was. this is one of the things that you say is fixed. I mean, they've been waiting for this generational talent to come to a major market. I mean, you saw what happened. Look, the Rangers have their fan base. The Rangers are popular. But I think what a shot in the arm for the Rangers. They are the signature franchise for the NHL in terms of in North America. And to have the Rangers get this superstar, the, the Wayne Gretzky, Sidney Crosby, Mary Lemieux type player, uh, I mean, he has 42 goals as a six-year-old. I mean, he's compared to Sidney Crosby. He played on the same Canadian team as Crosby did. Uh, he was the best player as a 16-year-old, best player as a 17-year-old. Um, and he, and the only problem is he wears number 11, and that's Mark Messier's number. I guess you, I guarantee you Messier might let him wear 11 uh, to do it. But uh, just just amazing. I think it, I, I looked at who was going to have a chance to get him, and I said, boy, I think it would be amazing to go to the Rangers because it would be such great for the sport. Just the same way when Gretzky came to the Kings in L.A., what that changed for hockey. And I think hockey, this is a shot in the arm and – I would not be surprised if this was somehow arranged. That's yeah, all I'm going to say. It, it reminds me of 1985 NBA draft of Patrick Ewing. Just a little bit how that worked out. But um, as I said, I'll take it. And the other teams that, you know, if it, if it gone to Pittsburgh or Toronto or Edmonton, people would have been losing their heads anyway. So there really was no good way out for this. They should have just let Detroit have the top pick because they were the worst team in the league. Regardless, uh, moving on, Ira, I think we don't have much time here, but I think the shock of the first round has to be the Islanders. And I said on this show last week, I'm not going to be surprised if the Islanders put up a really good fight against Washington. They don't make mistakes. They're coached by Washington's uh, coach that took them to the Stanley Cup, and they're up 3 nothing right now. Yeah, well, Alex Ovechkin uh, didn't even, I think, didn't have a shot one of the two of the games. Um, he had two goals in game three, uh, but it was just uh, the star for the Capitals, and the Capitals are the signature franchise, and they've seen them in the, make these great runs. But, boy, the Islanders come out of there and take this 3-0 lead. Um, that's just, I mean, and then this is what we talked about with the basketball, too. The Capitals don't have that home ice. They can't go back to what, you know, and have all the fans and get them come back. Like, I think this is one of those things where I think of a team – they're going to have a problem fighting back from that 3-0 deficit because, uh, and it's happened four times, one of the rarest things, but in hockey it has, and the other, in, in, baseball, in basketball it has, and baseball only once. But the point is, is that I think that's, but it, look, big shock, and uh, I think hockey, I think they wanted, they, but they would have liked to have a veteran stay in there. He's a big name and everything, but uh, boy, Islanders, all credit to them to uh, take that 3-0 series lead. Yeah, and just the other uh, other thing we should probably bring up was there's a game earlier today, Tampa Bay beat Columbus 2-1. to one. They're going to go up three games to one in that series. And I'm sure everyone remembers last year, Tampa Bay won the President's Trophy, uh, was the number one overall seed, and got swept by Columbus. So it looks like Tampa Bay is going to give them a little taste of their own medicine. I well, I think Columbus, I think Columbus, unfortunately for Columbus, they got, you know, they, they, revenge. You know, they yeah. could have fought, they, you know, Tampa Bay was certainly not going to, they, they, this is the perfect opportunity. And unfortunately for Columbus, they got a bad draw on this because they have a team that uh, definitely wanted to, you know, saw, was, that was totally looked past them last year. Wasn't ready for that series. And now I think, you know, clearly no one had to tell them what's happened. So they were ready for the series. <laughs> Ira, what's going on in tennis? Well, it was, they had this open. So now, 
uh, U.S. Opens in the first week of September. They're going to have a small little tournament beforehand at the same U.S. Open site. But the women was able, the men are not going to have any other tournament besides that. The women were able to have a tournament in Lexington, Kentucky, and I got to watch Venus and Serena for the 31st time. It was a good match. I was shocked how well both players played. I mean, it was one of the better Venus-Serena matches. Serena looked fantastic, and Venus looked fantastic. We won the first in 6-3, and Serena won the second two, 6-3, 6-4 to go through, but they both looked well, looked great. But then Shelby Rogers from America, who's always pulls an upset every now and then, she beat Serena She beat Serena in the quarterfinals in a third-set tiebreaker. Uh, Coco Goff was, like, cruising in this tournament, uh, but lost in the semis to Jennifer Brady, who uh, uh, ended up winning the tournament, another American tennis player. And again, this was sort of like the American Open with all these American players, but it was great to see Serena play, and uh, look, see, this is her chance to, to tie Margaret Court for the, the most all-time victories in majors to go to the U.S. Open, and a good warm-up, and it looked good. It, 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 Lexington handled it well. I thought it was, it was the first time they had a tournament there, and uh, it was interesting. We've been saying how tennis is having so many problems, and you're just seeing all the players opt out of the U.S. Open. I think now it's six of the top ten women are not going to play in the U.S. Open because they'd rather play in the French. They can't go from hardcore to the U.S. Open with one week off and then play on clay, plus have the quarantine, plus all this. So players, I think, are choosing. I think players are saying, we're going to play in the French. I'm not going to play in the U.S. Open. Because it, remember, it used to be you play in the French in, I think it's in uh, April, and then you are June, and then you have about two months of hardcore, then you play the U.S. Open. But in this case, you're not going to go from hard to clay with a week off. Um, that's why you're not going to see. I think you're going to see a lot of the men. Already in the dolls pulled out. I think you're going to say the same thing. Maybe half of the top 20 players are going to play. And finally, Ira, what do you got going on in auto racing? <laughs> you know, I think on Sunday mornings I'm getting obsessed with this, uh, with this <laughs> Formula One. I love watching Hamilton, Lewis Hamilton run. I mean, the Spanish Grand Prix, I'm getting in watching this, and I'm like, exciting. I can't believe they can change tires in two seconds. And, uh, I mean, he's the greatest driver of all time, and he's just rolling along. So I think it was really interesting to watch that race. And then you had a NASCAR race, which is on the road course in Daytona, right up the street from West Palm Beach. And it's interesting when you watch these road courses, uh, uh, there's some drivers that are just like so good at just the road course where they they're dry, they're not running in an oval and it's at Daytona so it's inside the the track of course um, and uh, Chase Elliott ended up winning that over Denny Hamlin who is in second place overall for the points and uh, we're talking about uh, car racing because next week is the Indy 500 which is again it's so off on the calendar you know May 31st was supposed to be the Indy you know Memorial Day is with the Indy 500 but no this year it's going to be next week and so those things so um, you know look auto racing has been also going strong throughout this entire break and uh the ratings since the other sports have stopped has decreased a little bit but uh but not as much i mean i think it's been good that they were able to get some of their names out and they've had had a good year so ira what are you doing this week i think this week is going to be tons of basketball so the fact is that if you look at the schedule how they're doing it and for the opening round games one of the big curses of the nba had been is that you had been there, there was like a break you play a game two games off and the first round seemed to take three weeks now they're just playing every other game. Like, it's going to be every other day, four, four games a day, and I'm excited for this. I mean, the first round's going to be over. They want to get these – they're not going to drag these series out. Like, they don't want the people in the bubble as long. So they're going to get these series. You get one day off, that's it. And uh, so I'm excited the fact that you're going to have day basketball to watch. You're going to have basketball all night. And the games aren't going to be at 10 o'clock, 10.30. Like, what's the, what's the criticism everybody has? All oh, the Lakers are on at, like, 10.30. They're at 11. They're going to play their games at 9 o'clock. So it's, like, perfect. Like, I really am excited for this NBA playoffs. I'm excited for the – 
I'm always excited for the NBA playoffs, and I think I'm really excited this year to see the teams because I really think there's a question whether what LeBron's going to do, and and there's no clear cut favorites, and I'm just excited for what the Heat to have their opportunity to play tomorrow. Um, so I'm pumped, and I, and I do like the fact that the games are in the afternoon and are at nine o'clock, uh, and and not against each other. You just watch ESPN or TNT, you get all the games. Um, I'm real excited for this whole NBA. And then the, the golf, and the, the Northern Trust this weekend. So you got, I think you have a bit, the Tigers playing in it. It's the first FedEx Championship. There's only three of the playoffs. So you have a great golf event, the, the, the Indy 500, and you have uh, baseball all week, and you have the NBA playoffs, and you have the NHL playoffs. So, wow, the Stanley Cup playoffs. So, a lot going on. There sure is, and we'll cover it all next week. On behalf of Ira, I'm Mike. Let's talk next Monday night. It's Ira on Sports.